Any takers? Any takers? Chris Fridge wants to volunteer via Melissa. All right, Chris, come on, we'll take you. Bill, good. This will be a good mix. All right, you guys come on up here. I missed the memo on Yellow Boys. <laughs> I missed that. All right. All right. Uh, Bill, why don't you turn around here? You're going to, you can't move anymore, okay? Good. Chris, if you'll take your glasses off, brother, and put this on, we're going to let you be blind, which well, maybe if you just took off the glass, <laughs> why don't you put that on you? I'll let you tie it. I don't want to get that close, friendly. All right. Now, Chris and Bill, I have an apple that, uh, it's because I'm trying to be healthier, eat for the glory of God, and it's been sitting on my desk for two weeks. So, uh, I have put this apple on the stage, and your job as a team is to pick it up. The only problem is, Bill, remember, you can't move, okay? And Chris, you can't see. So, this may be 40 minutes of the sermon, but uh, the goal is to pick up the apple, okay? Go. Maybe I should stand here. Yes. Good job. All right. As per your reward, you can keep that apple, Chris. <laughs> you can take the blindfold off. All right. So that was pretty easy, huh? And now guide him to his glasses, he said. Yes. Good. Here you go, brother. All right. Any thoughts on that, Bill? You immediately, you just jumped right in, man. What made you just jump right in? You gave good directions. I don't know. I was just thinking. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, there was no turn. Good. It was good direction, man. I need you in my car. All right. <laughs> Chris, what were you thinking? Why did you believe him? <laughs> well, I was worried because, you know, his glasses. He had glasses, too. <laughs> When I called you both up, I really thought it was funny. I had an internal <laughs> laugh, actually. But uh, yeah, but you trusted him. You started going. You felt like he wouldn't lie to you because he was at church or what? Yeah, I figured he'd be shamed into telling the truth. He would be shamed into telling the truth. Good. Give these guys a hand. They did a good job. Thank you. I want to start that way because we're in Romans 12. For those of you who've been journeying with us, we've been walking through an exposition of Romans 12 and learning about the gospel community. And I wanted to start this way this morning because what we've just seen is a picture of the church. I don't know how many of you thought about that, and maybe now that I've mentioned it, you will. But what we've seen is a picture of the church. And the reason is because we don't all have the same gifts, and we need each other if we're going to accomplish what's necessary. And so uh, not one person has all the gifts, and, uh, and there's no such thing as a one-person church. And so as we begin, I wanted to use a picture to kind of put that in our minds to show why God uses the picture of the body. We're called the body of Christ. And what I need you to do is turn to someone next to you and say, I need you. And then turn to someone else and say, you need me. All right? This is what we're going to see today in Romans 12. Someone next to you probably already said, I know that. All right? <laughs> Tara would have just turned to me twice and said, you need me, you need me. <laughs> and I would have affirmed that, yes. Yes, I do. Yes, indeed. All right. We've been learning from Romans 12 a couple things about the gospel and the gospel community. We learned the first time in Romans 12.1, 
that the gospel changes how we use our bodies. We use our bodies to show that Christ is our treasure, and we worship with our lives. So we saw that at the very beginning. So the gospel community uses their bodies to show that Christ is their treasure. We learn second off that the gospel changes how we think. The gospel community thinks more like God and less like the world. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what God's will is, what's good and perfect, pleasing, acceptable. And so the gospel changes how we think. We saw last week the gospel changes how we think about ourselves in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God's assigned. So we've learned that in the gospel community, there's humility in the gospel community. And the main reason is we're asked to consider our faith. And as we begin to really think about our faith, we remember two things. One, it's in Christ. It's not in ourselves. We all needed a substitute. And number two, our faith is from Christ. The reason that we even have it is because it's been given to us. And so it's tough to become arrogant or prideful when you begin to really meditate your faith. And so this works to produce humility, which then gets us to today. The gospel changes how we think about the church. The gospel community understands we are connected to Christ and to one another. And we're going to see this in verses 4 and 5. But as we begin, I just have a couple questions for you to ponder. Are we deeply committed to Christ? Are we personally deeply committed to Christ? Are we corporately deeply committed to Christ? And can others see that in us? Number two, can people tell that we're deeply committed to our brothers and sisters in Christ at Crosspoint? So if we are one body, can people tell how committed we are to one another by what we do with each other and for each other, by what we say about each other, by how we strive for each other's good as much as we do our own? I want us to go away from this message in particular, really grasping what it means to be one body and what it means to be individually members one of another, as we'll see in verses 4 and 5. And the reason uh, I think it's so important is because I think a lot of people have a wrong understanding of the church. And this is what we saw last week. If you have a wrong understanding of self, you're going to have a wrong understanding of church. And I think in our day, there are people who have, a lot of people have a wrong understanding of church. Some are not committed to the church at all. They just don't see it as important. They don't see what the big deal is. And I'm praying the word will crush that today. Uh, some are partially committed. And I want you to ponder just for a moment. Is your nose partially committed to your faith? I hope not. It'd be rough one day if you were just hanging out and your nose fell off, right? It was like, I was only partially committed anyway. I was only in it for a little while, right? See, it makes no sense when you understand that as the body of Christ, some of us are a nose or an elbow or an arm or a hand. We're not partially committed. Parts of our body are not partially committed to the good of the whole body. In the same way, we would see it for the Christ, but see it for the kingdom. But we have folks in our day that are either not committed to the church or partially committed to the church others do not fully understand what it means to be the body and thus don't realize as they hurt others they really hurt themselves so this is one thing you learn as you get married the bible says that when you become married you become how many flesh one flesh so when you actually hurt your spouse you actually hurt you now, i don't know anyone who would take i was going to bring a lighter and have someone uh ask them to burn their arm just curious and there are probably some folks that seriously struggle with harming themselves and i and i pray not you but the rest of us we wouldn't do that because we have enough realization to know it hurts right we have enough realization to know it hurts but what we don't realize often is when we hurt one another in our own community the truth is because we're one body we're hurting ourselves right and then one other thing is 
we have so many of us that make decisions, but we probably never think, how will this decision affect Crosspoint? One of the things that we've got to remember is if we're a body, then decisions I make don't just affect me, and they don't just affect Tara, they affect us. So there's some things I want you to grasp. It's this, the gospel community is more about us than it is about me. So I want you to repeat after me. The gospel community is more about us than it is about me. One of the things that the gospel does is it crushes self-preoccupation and exhorts me to my responsibilities to my brothers and sisters in Christ. If we are preoccupied just with ourselves, if our agenda is dominated just by our own things, then we've forgotten what it means to love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we've forgotten or may have never really understood what it means to be one body, individually members, but of one another. And the more we grasp this, the more we'll understand church, and the more the whole thing's going to be built up in love. We'll see this. I want you to stand with me. We're going to read in Romans 12. And we'll just read verses 3 through 8 to get the whole sense of the paragraph here. Beginning in Romans chapter 3, as Paul writes under the influence of the Holy Spirit, here's what's recorded. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, we thank you that you have given us this word and that you've preserved it. We pray now for your spirit to light it up to us or we will do no good here this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to think rightly of ourselves, that we might think rightly of the church and understand that we are a body. We are one body, not many bodies. And Father, I fear that uh, living in our country so often promotes individualism to the detriment of what it means to be the gospel community. Father, dependent on one another, to be individually members, but of one another. Father, I pray that you would speak to us from your word of what it means to be the gospel community what it means to be the church. Thank you that the church was your plan that's accomplished by you and is empowered by you. I pray now you would use your word in our lives, and then, Father, you would help us to live what we see here. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So one main point today is we really will focus on verses 4 and 5. We're going to pick up 6 through 8 next week, should the Lord give it to us. And as always, if he doesn't, it's okay with me, right? So we're going to pick up next week, and we're going to really begin to ask the question, what's my part? I feel like a lot of people struggle with, what's my spiritual gift? How do I know what that is? And we see gifts that are listed here in 6, 7, and 8. So should the Lord give us next week, we're going to try to deal with the gifts in just a, in, in a, in a small portion. But today I want us to focus on we are one body. And so the main point really today is if we are in Christ, if we are in Christ, then we are his body collectively, but have a part to play individually for the good of others and God's glory. So we are his body collectively, but each of us have a part to play and for each other's good and certainly for the Lord's glory. So what happens in Romans 12 is you see this that I've just read to you. Romans 12 does this. It says if we think rightly about ourselves, then we're going to think rightly about the body or the church. 
And then we're going to use our gifts. And what Ephesians 4 says is that when we use our gifts, the whole thing is built up in love. And then if you look at verse 9, what does verse 9 say in Romans 12? Let something. What's it say? Love be genuine. That's handy how that worked out. So it's interesting that, that Paul is giving this picture of what it means to live the gospel. And what he's saying is you think rightly about yourself. You're going to think rightly about the body. You're going to use your gifts. And as you use your gifts, we're going to be built up in love. And then he begins in Romans 12, 9 to show us what love actually looks like. Because love is a word that needs defining too. And he's like, here's what love looks like. Here's what the gospel community looks like. And so you should read verses 9 through 13 and pray, God, make this true about us. Make this true about our gospel communities. You read through that this week. I would encourage you to pray that prayer. So we're going to see several of these in multiple sermons. But today, let's, let's begin jumping in right here with our task of thinking about one body and members of one another. And let's go back to a little bit of last week, thinking rightly about ourselves. Verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There are two dangers that come along with thinking more highly. There are probably more, but two were what the Lord gave me. So two... Uh, dangers in thinking more highly of ourselves. One is arrogance. The other is independence. When we think more highly of ourselves, arrogance is what's promoted, and we tend to overvalue self, and we tend to devalue the others that are around us. I'm super important. My role in the church is way more important than yours. And I think about the ears saying, my role is way more important than you, hands. My role is way more important. Hearing is way more important to you. And then the hands would just respond and say, let me see you pick up a Q-tip. Right, And so we have this problem that when we are not humble, we can think, well, what I do in the body is way more important than what other people do. And we can begin to emphasize certain gifts. That was a problem in Corinth as they emphasized certain gifts over others. The other thing that happens is independence. So not just arrogance, but independence. And that's the other form. I don't need the body. I'm, I'm independent. I, I can accomplish it on my own. And there we've seen I'm cool with Jesus, but not the church which uh, the, the scriptures will correct this for us. But what happens is we have folks who never commit to a body and never do life with other folks. So when we think more highly of ourselves, then we can be prone to independence. I don't need to connect with a group. I don't need to give my life to a body. It doesn't matter what you need, friends. It matters what God's plan is for the church. And we cannot accomplish the things that he's given the church, such as the Great Commission was not given to individuals, friend. It's given to the church. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. So here's how independence and arrogance get crushed. Verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So I've already said we live in a day where some people have zero commitment to the church or minimal commitment. There are some folks who church is just about what they can get rather than what they give. But if you read verses 6 through 8, friends, it's about all of us giving one to another, using these gifts to build one another up. Another is folks easily jump from one church to the next. And as again, when you understand the body metaphor, this becomes a little more difficult. It's like your nose again saying, I'm out of here. I've got another face I want to connect to. That's never happened. I'm only 33. It could, could change when I'm 34. My nose jumps off my face. I don't think it's going to because the nose is committed. And so when you understand the body metaphor, it also makes hopping based on preferences a lot more difficult. Uh, and then again, people in the church making decisions with no regard of how it might affect crosswalk. We've got to grasp what it means to be the body. I want you to hold your place in Romans 12, and I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 
We're going to consider three different passages. Romans 12 is one of them. We're going to consider Ephesians, and we're going to spend a little time in 1 Corinthians 12. But just those three passages, and we'll get there in time. But I want us to grasp the theological foundations of the church, because you can think that what I'm doing is self-propagating. I need a job, so I've got to emphasize the importance of the church, so you guys will keep paying my salary. Uh, But since I didn't create the church, I think it's important for you to know, and I think a lot of people don't grasp the theological foundations of the church, how important church really is. And when I spoke at the BCM a few weeks ago, I mentioned this briefly, but want to point it out to you. In Ephesians 3, verse 10, here's what Paul writes here. He says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. One of the things that I want you to see is that the Father is the one who planned the church. There was no one who just sat around one day and said, church would be a good idea. The Father planned the church, and his plan for the church is to reveal his manifold wisdom to the authorities and to the ages. If you want to know how long he's had this plan, then you go back to Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's a long time to have a plan. So I hope that you'll see the church was God's eternal plan from the very beginning, and his plan is through the church to reveal his wisdom. He could do it any way he wants, but through the church he wants to do that. Well, in order for that to happen, the Father planned the church, but the Son purchased it. If you look in Ephesians 2, verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, just as we've sung about and we've pointed out to you today. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the Father planned the church, but the Son purchased it with his own blood and his life. The Spirit is now the one who powers the church. You look back in Ephesians 1, verse 13, and it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You then look back in verse 2 where we left off. Beginning in verse 18, it says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So three things that I want to point out to you. The Father planned the church. The Son purchased the church. The Spirit powers the church. How many of you would say that the church matters to the Trinity? How many of you would say then, if the church matters to the Trinity, it should probably matter to us? How many of you would say then, folks who say, I'm cool with Jesus but not cool with the church, are either ignorant or immature in their understanding of the church? Because God cares very much about the church. He's continuing to build the church. And against his church, the gates of hell will not even prevail. Long, we will see in Revelation, his great concern for the church. And every other institution is going to fade away, but not the church, friend. He's going to keep building the church. 
John Stott said, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for his purpose conceived in eternity past, being worked out in history and to be perfected in eternity future is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church, that is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. Now, I want to show you something that we can't miss from this, but I need to ask you some questions. You ready? Who won the game last night? Oh, I just want to point that out. Okay, no. Second question. How many of you believe that God is all wise? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone in doubt? All right. How many of you believe that God never makes mistakes? How many of you sometimes are tempted to think he might? If you've encountered a situation. How many of you are tempted to think that Ancient of Days has taken a nap? The one who says he goes without sleep, you think, something happened here. And you, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, you awake? Take it. What's going on? All right. How many of you know then that all of God's plans are good? All right. Now, I want to ask all of that because we see that God planned the church. But now I want you to see how God planned the church to be. Now, we've already admitted he's all wise, right? And he never makes mistakes and his plans are good. And the crazy thing is, he's made it so we would rely on each other. What was he thinking? Right? What was he thinking? We don't want to rely on anybody, right? Don't miss this. Look in Ephesians 2, verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself a bunch of men. Right? What's it say there? One new man. All right? All right? Don't miss that. All right? One other passage as as we're here in verse 21. He says that we're being built up in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a whole bunch of temples. What does it say? A holy temple in the Lord. If I were to turn you to 1 Peter 2, verse 5, we don't have to turn there, but here's what he says. We're being built into one house. We're being built into one house. And now if you go back to Romans 12, he says, for it is in one body we have many members, and the members all have the same function. So we, though many, are a bunch of bodies. How many bodies? One body. So don't miss it, all right? Instead of many men, one man. Instead of many temples, one temple. Instead of many houses, one house. And instead of many bodies, one body. So God's plan for his church involves a corporate identity. It involves community, connected. And that's why the gospel crushes self-preoccupation. We're not all on our own. We're connected in one body that's his. And therefore, he's the one who gets to say what it should look like. And his plan is that we would rely on one another. So let's consider this one body for a little bit. There are three things that we'll spend time on this morning. The first one is that we're united in Christ. The thing that joins us, that makes us the same, is Christ. Number two, we'll see that we're diverse in gifts. We're not all supposed to be the same. The beauty of the church is that we're not the same. We like different things. We're gifted in different ways. And there's beauty that comes from that, and that's God's eternal plan. His plan is not that we would all be robots who all love the same stuff, but that we would all be the same in Christ, but different in our gifts. And then the third thing is that we are uh, in and individually members one of another. And that's where I want us to really consider, because this is where we're really grasping what the gospel community is. But let's start first with united in Christ. And Paul chose, out of all things, to use as a picture for the church For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. According to Lever 2000, how many body parts are there? 
Yeah, 2,000. I don't know if there really are, but I just remember that commercial. That's why PR works, right? So and for all 2,000 of your body parts, right? So why in the world does Paul use a metaphor of the body? It's because God has given it as the picture to help us understand how we relate to each other and his plan for the church. And he says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. The thing that unites us is in Christ. But I want us to spend just a moment pondering the phrase in Christ. Because the more you ponder that, the more you will be grateful for the gospel, the more you will love Jesus, and the more it will make a difference in every single day of your life. The less you ponder the phrase in Christ, the more you will waste your days. All right? So let me give you a rundown, just meditating on this. He says that we are united, we are members, right? One body in Christ. If you would take a moment to think on in Christ, here are a couple of reflections. 1 Corinthians 1.4 says that we receive grace in Christ. Some of you are going to be frustrated because I'm going to go through these. Have no fear. You can email me and I'll send you the list, okay? Or you can look up your own Bible. 1 Corinthians 1.4, we receive grace in Christ. Romans 3.24, our redemption is in Christ. Galatians 2.17, we're justified, guess what? In Christ. Ephesians 4.32, we have forgiveness of sins in Christ. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are a new creation, guess what? In Christ. It's Romans 6.23, we have eternal life in Christ. Philippians 4.19, God supplies all our needs in Christ. Ephesians 1.3, we have every spiritual blessing of heaven in Christ. Colossians 1.28, we will be presented to God perfect, guess how? In Christ. And Romans 8.32, we cannot be separated from the love of God, how? In Christ. Friends, if we would just ponder the phrase in Christ every day and realize how these blessings come to us, it would make a difference in our day. There's no other means for us to be reconciled. So one of the things that we want to say about the gospel community is the gospel community is the gospel community because of the gospel, because of Christ. There's no other means for us to be reconciled. There's no other means for us to become a part of the body. This isn't a club. This isn't the Lions Club. This isn't the Civitan What makes us connected to each other is our relationship to Christ. We are connected to Christ, and Christ connects us to one another. If you are not connected to Christ, you're not connected to us. You may sit in the same seats with us, but you are not connected in the way that Christ works. So there's no other means. Paul Brown, a doctor, has said this, uh, What moves cells to work together, what ushers in the higher specialized functions of movement, sight, consciousness, through coordination of 100 trillion cells? Does anyone have a wild guess? DNA. The secret to membership lies locked away inside each cell nucleus, chemically coiled in a strand of DNA. The DNA chemical ladder splits down the center of every gene, much as the teeth of a zipper pull apart. DNA reforms itself each time the cell divides. Two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two cells, each with identical DNA. Along the way, cells specialize, but each carries the entire instruction book of 100,000 genes. Every cell possesses a genetic code so complete the entire body could be reassembled from information in any one of the body's cells. He goes on to say, Just as the complete identity code of my body inheres in each individual cell, so also the reality of God permeates every cell in Christ's body, linking us members with a true organic bond. I sense that bond when I meet strangers in India or Africa or California who share my loyalty to the head. Instantly we become brothers and sisters, fellow cells in Christ's body. It's Christ that unites us. So that we're different. We do a thousand different things. Chuck runs triathlons. I drive to donut stores. We do different things. We're gifted in different ways. But the thing that unites Chuck and I is Christ. There's something that's unique. Mr. Al, incredible architect. 
But what unite? I can't draw squat. I can't draw squat. He, what unites us is not our pencils, but it's Christ, right? Mandy, incredibly gifted, working with college students. How would we have anything? I'm a man. She's a woman. It's Christ. So though we're gifted in different ways, Christ. And so that's the thing, friends. Though we're going to be different, there's one thing that everyone will recognize about Crosspoint. Christ. Christ. And the more we look like him, the more we look to him, the more we will look like him. And so we're united in Christ. So we don't ever want to take the gospel out of the gospel community. But even though we are united in him, it says, though many, we are one body in Christ and individually members one another, having gifts that differ. differ. There is diversity, and these gifts uh, come from Lord, see, according to the grace given to us. What's interesting is when folks don't operate in their giftedness, but they operate in what they wish was their gift. We see that in church. I wish that was my gift. And that becomes a problem, too, when, when congregations are platform-driven or stage-driven, and we just highlight certain gifts, then that tends to be. We don't want people operating gifts they wish they had. We want people operating gifts they do have. And when you grasp that God sovereignly distributes gifts, we accept those things a whole lot better. And what helps with that is the renewed mind, back in verse 2, of understanding this is God's will. It's good. It's perfect. It's acceptable. We're going to pick up with that next week. But for the sharp point, here we see that there's a difference. Uh, you know, our cells, chemically, cells are almost alike, but visually and functionally, they're as different as animals in a zoo. So red blood cells. Does anyone know what red blood cells kind of resemble? Little red lifesaver candies, right? They're discs resembling lifesaver candies. Anything I can do to relate this to sugar, I'm doing my best. They voyage through my blood loaded with oxygen to feed the other cells. Muscle cells, which absorb so much of that nourishment, are sleek and supple, full of coiled energy. Cartilage cells with shiny black nuclei look like bunches of black-eyed peas glued tightly together for strength. Fat cells, man, who put that one in there? Snuck it in my notes. Seem lazy and leaden, like bulging white plastic garbage bags jammed together. Why did God make them look like that? So, the body of Christ, like our own bodies, is composed of individual, unlike cells that are knit together to form one body. He's the whole thing, and the joy of the body increases as the individual cells realize they can be diverse without becoming isolated outposts. And so it's incredible. Verse 6 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teachings, God's plan is not for us to be exactly alike, but different for each other's good and his glory. And one of the things is God has not designed a one-person church, and he's not given one person all the gifts. Because the way he designed it, and we've already said he's all wise, is that we would depend on each other, that we would rely. How many of you know this makes the process a lot slower? Wouldn't it have been a lot faster if God had just made us one-on-one, uh, one, if he just glorified us uh, from the very beginning, right? Well, that's coming. But instead, God has chosen sanctification as a part of sanctification. He's made it where we have to rely on one another. So, want, want for all of you who thought you could do it on your own, Lone Ranger Christians. You can't do it. And you're holding the rest of us back. We'll see this in a moment. Let's read Romans 12. We've seen that. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to come back to Romans 12. But turn to 1 Corinthians 12 just so you can see this and how God distributes the gifts. And I want to point out two things. Uh, from, from this passage in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. From one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, it would be weird. Where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. I want you to turn someone next to you and say, I don't know if you're an ear. Or I don't know if you're an eye. Or I don't know if you're an elbow. But I need you. And God has planned it this way. All right, let's keep reading. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. That's why it matters. Friends, that's why we can't let people slip through the cracks. That's why connecting matters. We need each other. If all were a single member, where would the body be on Monsters, Inc.? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But I want to point out two things. The first one is what we saw in verse 18. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Friend, if you're a part of Crosspoint, it's not an accident. God has brought you here for a divine purpose and a divine use in my life, in each other's lives, and for his glory. And we need each other, and it matters. You have gifts that God has planned for this body to be used, right? And here's the second thing that I want to show you. Verse 7 of chapter 12. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that's the point that I've been driving home. We have gifts and it's for each other, but it's for the common good. The reason that we have this is for the common good. So God sovereignly distributes the gifts, and when they're given, they're given for the common good. Here's just a few examples of why we need the church, and we can't do it on our own. I've already mentioned to you the Great Commission. The Great Commission to go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples, right? Of where? All nations, right? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It wasn't given to just an individual or individuals, friends. It's given to the church. And if we're going to see this accomplished, it must be through the church working together. Number two, the ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper weren't given to individuals. That's why if you have a dude who's just baptizing himself, one, he's on the movie The Apostle. But two... You, you don't have, you don't see it. The ordinances are not given to just individuals. This is why we don't practice the Lord's Supper at just my house. When I'm like, oh, look, Ritz crackers. We don't practice this, right, just our house. It's an ordinance given to the church. And if we're to see it enacted properly, communion is because of community that we have, togetherness, oneness. And now here's where I want you to turn back to Ephesians. We've already been in Ephesians, and let's read in Ephesians 4. I promise we don't do Bible drill every time, but it's important to see these passages that all go together. And we're rounding into the final thoughts. All right, so Ephesians 1 said that God planned the church. Ephesians 2 said the Son purchased it. And Ephesians 3 said, uh, and Ephesians 2 and 3, we'll talk about the Spirit and how the Spirit powers it. 
Well, now, here's what he says. Beginning of Ephesians 4, verse 11, and if you've been here more than one Sunday, then you've probably heard me reference this verse over the past five years. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, now verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body... Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, one thing before I move to the obvious question. Who's the head of the church? Christ. So who's the true senior pastor at Crosspoint? Christ. All right, don't ever forget that. All right, second thing, it says, when each part is working properly, verse 16, the whole body is built up what? And what? And love. When each part is working. So now let me ask a very difficult question. What happens then when each part is not working properly? It's not going to be built up in love, right? We're not going to be built up in love. This is why this is huge, and this is why you can't just be a slacker at Crosspoint, why you can't just chill, and why you can't just be in your own world. Friends, we need each part. Youth, you are a part. College students, you are a part. Senior adults, you're a part. Young married couples that are struggling to survive in diapers and just dinner every day, you are a part. Let me paint another picture. Have you ever watched a football game? Anyone ever watched a football game? Have you ever watched a football game and someone had an incredible, say they returned a kickoff all the way down for a touchdown, and it's incredible, right? Until you look back upfield and there's a little yellow handkerchief on the ground, right? Man, don't, I can't stand those things, right? And what tends to happen with the little yellow handkerchief back up here? Everything that that guy has just accomplished and the other players on the field have accomplished in blocking is now negated because of what one person did to now hamper the progress of all of them. Friends, it's not that different, though I'm not a referee throwing a yellow flag on you every week when you do something or you're one throwing it on me when I do something. The truth is that what we do can make a difference in this body advancing or not. And when you and I are not doing our parts, friend, hear the word, the whole thing's not going to be built up in love. When one part of the body, let me ask a second question then, when one part of the body is not functioning properly, do the other parts just ignore it? (laughs) Hope it goes away. When something's wrong with, like, your lungs, do the rest of the people just go around inside like, I'm not looking. I'm not going to know. No, when one part of your body is ill, what, the rest of the body kicks into, we've got to deal with this, right? Why don't we do that as a congregation? You see, because we've not taken seriously our responsibilities of discipline for one another. And when one part is not functioning, we cannot be those who stick our head in the sand and be like, I hope it gets better. Then you miss what it means to live this last part of the outline. See, if we're going to do that, we must be individually members of one another members of one another here's what the last part in romans 12 says that we'll focus on today so we are so we though many are one body in christ and individually members one of another koinonia is the bible word for fellowship but we tend to when we think of fellowship we tend to think of food these days but the idea behind koinonia has common sharing participation 
So the Bible says that we are the community of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians, and we are in community with the Son in 1 Corinthians. And then it talks about some things that we share as the gospel community, because I don't know that we fully grasp what it means to be individually members one of another. And the Bible talks about sharing our lives from 1 Thessalonians, sharing our property in Acts 4, sharing the gospel, Philippians 1, sharing in Christ's suffering and glory. And if we had continued in 1 Corinthians 12, where I stopped, it said this in verse 24, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. It goes on, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. We have responsibilities to one another. It means that we're not just, uh, we don't just go through life and go about our business. We are individually members of one another. So if one is rejoicing, we're rejoicing. We share all the time responsibilities that we have from Hebrews 10 of spurring one another on in Christ. From Hebrews 3 of reminding each other of sin. We saw in Galatians 6 just a few weeks ago, we have a, a responsibility to restore one another when we sin. We have a responsibility from 6-2 to bear one another's struggles. It's not just about what I can get, but what I can give. And let me give you an example of, of what I'm talking about. So we are one body, but individually members one of another. So we might say, well, I'm connected to Christ. Yeah, but Christ connects us to ourselves. Ben and Rebecca are going to have uh, twins. How many of you knew that? Ben and Rebecca, and they're going to be here in 2012, according to our prayer sheet. But uh, just picking Michelle. Michelle, it wasn't her fault. It was an accident. And twins take longer to develop inside. It's double the work. So Ben and Rebecca are about to have twins. And uh, how many of you know that means a lot of feeding, bathing, diaper changes? How many of you know that means a lot of sleepless nights? Lot of sleep. uh, what typically happens then if we think in normal church programming mode is their participation may decrease very soon. So if we think in normal church programming mood, mode of Sunday morning, Wednesday night, the truth is Ben and Rebecca's participation may decrease very soon. But we don't want to think in normal church programming. We want to think of what it means to be the community and involved in each other's lives. Uh, because what we see here, Ben and Rebecca's twins are not just their responsibility. Friends, they're our responsibility. They're our responsibility. It's not just theirs. It's ours. We are a community together. How helpful would it be if another couple showed up early in the morning to help with breakfast or later in the afternoon to help with bathing? Do you think that would be helpful for Ben and Rebecca? I think it would be, and I'm volunteering my sister first. Uh, would it be? How helpful would it be if someone offered to drive Ben to work for a few months? That would be helpful for all other drivers, actually. But how helpful would it be uh, so that Ben could sleep on the way to work or read his Bible or have another brother just praying with him during this season, joining together? If we adopted this model, then Ben and Rebecca may not be as active in our regular meetings on Sunday and Wednesday, but they would be very active in the body life of this church and what it means to be community, and what it means to do life together individually, members one of another. So I would challenge the young professionals where Ben and Rebecca are part to consider how they can serve, beginning with you guys, uh, how you can serve so that Ben and Rebecca's community increases rather than decreases during this time and then the rest of us. And there are other needs in our own body. It's not just about meeting on Sundays and Wednesdays, folks. If all we're doing is meeting, then we're missing what community is really about. If we're too busy to be involved in the lives of others, 
then we're too busy and the gospel needs to set our agenda rather than the world. If we can't be involved in one another's lives because of everything else we're doing, then perhaps we need to take a long, hard look at what it means to be individually members of one another, what it means to be the gospel community, and ask, is the gospel setting my work schedule? Is the gospel setting my weekly schedule? Some of our folks are going through very difficult times right now, and I'm praying that other folks, particularly their smaller groups, will connect with them and help them bear these burdens. These are our responsibilities. Maximizing being individuals but members of one another, I think, happens best in small groups and not just Sunday morning attendance. As you come in here, friends, it's monologue. It's not dialogue. Small groups help you connect with one another. There's a sign up there that says, I want to be in a small group. If you're not in one of our Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night small groups, friends, I'm begging you to join, to connect, to partner where people know you and you know them. Uh, maximizing this being individuals of uh, members of one another happens best when we commit to a group and don't just hop around based on preferences church to church and it makes the leaving more difficult because we're grounded i've given you an example in your outline there of a church covenant this is one that multiple churches use but i think it's going to help you grasp what it means to be uh, members one of another and the responsibilities that we have to each other in the near future, the elders will be bringing a covenant forward to you to consider. This may not be the exact one, but this is just an example of a church covenant and of what we mean. Here's what it says. Having as we trust, trust been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and give up ourselves to him and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. You see, friends, God's plan is not that we would be the folks that just gather at the same place on Sunday morning, but that we would be the folks that do life together. We would be the folks that push each other to the gospel every day. We would be the gospel community that has regard not just for our own sanctification, but for the folks' sanctification in this section has regard for what's going on for the struggles of the folks in this section. This is what it means to be the gospel community. We're one body, and when one part hurts, we all hurt. 
when one rejoices, we all rejoice. And what I think has happened far too often is membership has not been very important to a lot of folks. Membership has not been biblically understood. And when we talk about membership at Crosspoint, we're talking about Romans 12. We're talking about journeying together. We're talking about living the gospel together. I want to close uh, in this way this morning. I don't know if you saw, but Friday night in Texas, there was a quarterback who threw a touchdown pass, and he came off the field and uh, fell on his knees and went to a seizure, and he died uh, later that night, was pronounced dead at the hospital. And uh, he was 17 years old. His name was Reggie Garrett. He's from West Orange Stark High School in eastern Texas. And they were going to do an autopsy to figure out all of what went wrong with Reggie's body. The end result is some internal issues, whatever it is, caused Reggie's death. I shared with you last week the picture of Tara's grandmother. And even this week, uh, it seems things continue to deteriorate. Her blood pressure goes down and up and down and up. And her body is attacking itself from within. And one of the things that we talked about last week, friends, we have Romans 12 so that we can know how not to do that as the body of Christ. If we're arrogant and independent, it's going to work against this body. If we are divisive and selfish, it's going to work against this body. If we're apathetic to the part we're supposed to play, it's going to work against this body. And then we needn't worry about the world or the devil, we will have destroyed ourselves. And so we don't want to be that congregation. We want to be those who are striving to live Romans 12 and realize every decision you make this week won't just affect you, it will affect us. The gospel community is more about us than it is about me. So how are you doing in living out this text? How are we doing? How are you in living in community with other believers here at Crosspoint? Are you using your gifts to build up the body, or are you just receiving, which is okay for a period, but not for the long term? Are you fully vested for the good of this body, or are some of your actions or words actually harming this body? If all we have is Sunday and Wednesday programs and not community, we're missing it. The goal is not for some of us to be in community, friends. The goal of Romans 12 is that we would all be in community. We're all one body. So what do we need to do to live this text? Let me give you some moments to pray and ask the Lord to show you uh, what role you might play. And I'll ask Pastor Byron to come and uh, close out our time with announcements after I pray for us.